Welcome to another Love from the Hip. I'm spiritual hypnotherapist, intuitive medium, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. I created this show with the intention of empowering others to help and love themselves. Aside from weekly skin tips, you will hear me spotlight extraordinary souls from around the world who are making a difference by helping people in their own way. Together, we can all make a difference. And it starts with love, love from the hip. Shamanism has been regarded as one of the oldest healing practices in the world, dating back 30 to 40,000 years ago. The word shaman comes from the indigenous people of Siberia, the Manchu Tungus, and is derived from the word zaman, which translates to one who knows. Shamans are notable spiritual figures present in many indigenous faiths. They function as healers, seers, custodians of traditional lore, and a connection to the other world. Throughout history, they have been relied on time and time again to heal sickness, to remedy communal misfortune, to predict natural disasters, or even to advise on the whereabouts of an animal on a hunt. Shamans have been known to lead healing ceremonies and vision quests, interpret dreams, call on the guidance of spirit guides, the elders, totem animals, and all that is nature, dispel negative energy, as well as offer up natural plant remedies and teachings through plant medicine. Their powers span wide, and it is said they have indeed prevent famine and manip- manipulated the weather. While a shaman possesses knowledge of many rituals, the one most asked for is to draw disease out of the body. In the wisdom of a shaman, illness is a result of spirit loss in which the soul becomes fragmented or detached through trauma or negative emotions and needs to be recovered and then reintroduced into the person's body to make them whole again. During this ritual, plant medicine may also be used to help retrieve the soul. Plants and many fungi are held very sacred by shaman, some even being viewed as gods or goddesses. Prayers are usually offered to the spirits to whom these holy plants belonged, and it is believed that they possess the key to the divine wisdom humans seek in their tissues. Shaman have long used plant medicine to walk the world of spirit, connecting with our ancestors and bringing back wisdom to the physical world. Unfortunately, much of the plant medicine which is administered today has lost its sacred and ritualistic purpose. It has become purely recreational and overly abused, or worse, used to abuse others. Sadly, cases of women who have been raped during ayahuasca ceremonies led by those assumed to be shaman have been slowly leaking out over the years as more women find the strength to talk about it. Much like the purpose of plant medicine, the title of shaman has become more loosely used and is rather insulting to the shaman that have worked hard to keep the respected status in this world. Pop culture and a trend towards spirituality have allowed many underqualified people to label themselves as shaman and therefore advertise as such. While it's great that the popularity of shamanism can only mean we are consciously evolving, it must be understood that shamans are born to their role. They come from a long line of ancestors who have honored their community by fulfilling that role. Even still, if you were not born into it, it would seem to require some sort of apprenticeship and initiation under a true shaman of an indigenous society before laying claim to a title. As a matter of fact, there are many who feel, although they have studied the ways of the shaman, out of respect for the original shaman and as a means to portray shamanism in modern times, it is best to take on alternate titles, such as shamanic therapist or shamanic practitioner instead. 
Maybe the draw to shamanism stems also from our desire to better understand who we are by getting to know where we came from. And for many who have not, no recollection of their history, shamanism serves as a beautiful gateway for such. Case in point, a revival of shamanism took place in Mongolia in 1990 after they reclaimed their independence through the collapse of the Soviet Union. For people who had their whole history wiped away, including any physical traces of its past by Soviet domination, shamans offered up a direct connection to to their distant ancestors and gathered fragmented pieces of their past. On one hand, it offered healing for the living descendants in all that they thought they had lost, and on the other, it offered even greater healing for the ancestors who have since passed, yet desired to bequeath their wisdom, history, and lore. Perhaps it's also humankind's natural tendency towards skepticism which keeps shamanism alive and well. After all, our skepticism arises from being limited by our own perceptual experience. If we didn't at least try to squash our skepticism, we would never allow for the opportunity to have other experiences. And shamanism definitely supplies a wide range of opportunity. But more importantly, it helps us to find our way home. Today on Love from the Hip, it is my absolute honor to have Dr. Stephen Farmer here with us. Dr. Farmer is a shamanic practitioner, licensed psychologist, spiritual teacher, and author. He will share his wisdom of shamanism, how to connect with animal spirit guides, as well as how we can help heal our ancestral karma, and so much more. Plus, later on the show, we will open up the phone line so Dr. Farmer can offer a few of you many intuitive readings. So don't go anywhere. The passing of our loved ones always proves to be very challenging, but can be met with ease when working with someone who can hold space, compassion, and especially someone who works across the veil. Allow Sakura Sutter, multidimensional channeler and intuitive medium, to be your spiritual guide with the other side. No matter if you choose to communicate with your transitioned loved ones to help you with the grieving process, or connect with spiritual, galactic, and other light beings to explore and dive in more on your spiritual path, Sakura can assist you. Not only does Sakura channel insightful messages, but she also incorporates her metaphysical tools to help you move through blocks and unprocessed emotions and feelings, providing you with a closure, relief, and new mindset to move forward. So don't hesitate to take your first step towards healing so you can start living your life once again. Remote sessions available. Contact Sakura at sakurasutter.com. That's S-A-K-U-R-A-S-U-T-T-E-R.com. Do you wonder why you repeat behaviors that don't serve you? Do you struggle with self-love? Are you intimidated by situations where you want to stand up for yourself but can't? If any of those resonate with you, you may be living someone else's story. This can lead to dysfunctional relationships, emotional shutdowns, and regrets. Every part of your life may be a reflection of someone else's story. It's time to live your life. In 2005, spiritual life coach Jeanette Dames realized she was living other people's stories. She recreated her life to live her story and love, joy, peace, health, and prosperity showed up. 
from this deep transformation, Jeanette has developed a six-week coaching program to help you create your life your way. She can help you make it a dazzling reality. It's time to let go of what you absorbed from others and create the life you want. Visit riverangelranch.com for more information. That's R-I-V-E-R-A-N-G-E-L-R-A-N-C-H.com. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe and share my podcast, Love from the Hip. That's HYP, anywhere you can find podcasts. Today, I have the pleasure of having Dr. Stephen Farmer here with us. Dr. Farmer is a shamanic practitioner, licensed psychologist, spiritual teacher, and author. Hello, Dr. Farmer. Well, hello, Sakura, and thanks for having me as a guest on your show. Absolutely. Where are you joining us from today? I'm uh, Dana Point, Orange, which is in Orange County, which is in Southern California. Awesome. And uh, you know, it's it's just a, a, an amazing spring day. You know, I took my doggies. I've got a couple of dogs. Took them for a nice walk. Oh, nice. Then, yeah, yeah. So it's a beautiful spring day. Couldn't ask for better. Wonderful. Well, how long have you been a shamanic practitioner? You know, I I don't recall the exact date, but we're talking about 25 years. Uh, you mentioned licensed psychologist. I'm actually a, a psychotherapist, which is a slightly different uh, term. Okay. Uh, because psychologist is uh, a no-no, you know, to call myself a psychologist. <laughs> anyway, I am a licensed, no, no worries, licensed psychotherapist, uh, shamanic practitioner, and... Um, I've been doing some version of practice for many, many years, you know, most of my life, most of my career, you know, and it's evolved. And uh, for about 25 plus years, I think is when I first was introduced to shamanism, which has seen a revival Hmm. in uh, about that length of time, I would say 25 to 30 years. And I got to say, I had a very active, very successful private practice as a therapist. And then I took a two-day course. I first read a book, Way of the Shaman by Mm -hmm. Michael Harner, and then took a two-day course. And I I left there just like hungry. (laughs) I went, this is it. You know, it's like I've tasted a little bit. I could, a little bit of the aroma of shamanism, a little bit introduction. And boy, let's go. And took a number of trainings uh, from different teachers, including Michael Harner's Foundation for Shamanic Studies. And uh Eventually quit my practice, my therapy practice. And then uh, okay. after after uh, several years of doing exclusively shamanic work, I reintroduced a lot of what I, uh, tools I used in the therapy practice. So it's a real synthesis of the right. two, depending upon what the client needs. Now, what was the draw to bring shamanism in for you? Um, I just, just I, I would describe it as a hunger, a calling. Uh, and I really believe people are drawn to shamanic practice, shamanic healing, uh, that it's a calling, that's something, you know, call it great spirit or God or source or yeah, it, the name is irrelevant, but you feel it in your body. I felt it in my body. I felt it like it's time for something more. There's other methods. Uh, there's there's something else, you know, it just that's the best way I describe it is sort of this uh, soul hunger. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, that it's time to, to, you know, get on this train and see where this takes us. I love and that. i got to say, it's just been, uh, there's some amazing stuff that can happen with shamanism. 
I believe that. <laughs> so, so as long as you have been a shamanic practitioner, which is a very long time, what have you seen change with shamanism, the positives as well as the negatives? Sure. I think first off, I would say it's like um, maybe good news, bad news, you know, the, that sort of dichotomy. Um, the good news is I think more and more people are being exposed to it because it really does incorporate earth spirits. Mm. You know, I think there's been a tendency in many of the uh, contemporary Western cultures to sort of elevate, get beyond the earth, you know, rise up, you know, get uh, work with the celestial beings, which is fine, you know, nothing wrong with, but what about this tree outside my door? You know, there's the physical tree and it has a life force. And in addition to that life force, you could say it has a spirit, you know, there's something that energizes or animates this particular being. And uh, frankly, Sakura, you know, I think we've lost our way. Mm -hmm. And shamanism is helping us find the way back. Uh, one contention I have, I, and I like what you read, by the way, at the beginning of the show. I think it's a really good summary. Thank you. Uh, so be, send it to me. I might borrow it. I'll give you credit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think the uh, concern sometimes from, from time to time really is that it becomes um, a little bit too glib, you know, like, uh, I've gone through some training, so I'll call myself a shaman. I'll put it on my business card. And I have some strong opinions about that. Mm -hmm. No, I will never call myself a shaman. I never have because, like you pointed out in what you read, often it's the result of a long lineage and intensive kind of training from, you know, day one, maybe uh, adolescence even, that, that a, a young woman or a young man starts to be shown the ways, you know, of that particular culture, the healing ways, and working with uh, spirits and spirit guides, etc. And so I, I, uh, I balk at uh, hearing of someone who calls himself a shaman. Mm -hmm. Now that's my strong point of view. It doesn't mean I'm right. It just means that's my point of view based on, you know, the last uh, three decades of experience with it. Right. And I think it's okay to say I'm a, shama, a shamanic practitioner, a shamanic healer, mm -hmm. because that there are tools from shamanism, and thank God there are, that there are alternative ways of healing. Right. You, not just uh, psychotherapy, not just uh, I, uh, whatever it may be. You know, I, I could probably name a few uh, healing methodologies, and they're great. Reiki's a good one, you know, but Stanley Krippner years ago called certain practices shamanistic i mm. like that he specifically <laughs> mentioned reiki because right. it's got a little bit of the flavor of shamanism so anyway that's my point of view about that yeah and I, that. I think it's fine call yourself a shamanic practitioner it's okay mm -hmm. and get you get as much training as you can as much experience uh and go more than just to one person so how would you define shamanism for those who don't know exactly what it is I think you did a good job again in the <laughs> earlier reading, so thank, thank you. you. For that. But yeah. it's an earth-based uh, practice. I don't even want to call it a spiritual practice, so it certainly is in a certain way. But it's a healing methodology that incorporates um, uh, ordinarily non-visible beings that part that participate in the work, whatever the work may be, uh, facilitating a ceremony. New moon's coming up, you know. Um, sometime, I think this morning, I don't know the exact time, but we're at new moon. Well, often our ancestors, and I'm talking about not mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, we're talking about our yeah. <laughs> deep lineage. I don't care how white or brown or black or, <laughs> or whatever you are, 
you have ancestors back when, you know, several generations ago that I'm sure were healers in some way, shape or form. And I think legitimately you can call them shamanic healers. Mm. So some of that information can be um, discerned or determined sometimes by connecting with those ancestors. But you gotta, you gotta get past, um, shall we say, Western ideology. You know, and what I mean by that specifically Western ideology that, uh, oh, it's, it's, you know, just people playing around with drums and rattles. Right. Come on, you know, dig into it a little bit further and you'll see that there's something more to that. Plus, the last piece I want to say about it, uh, Shakari, is that I have just seen miracles, you know, since and I'm sure there were miracles before shamanism, too. Yeah. Maybe I missed them or maybe, you know, I didn't count them as part of the shamanic uh, um, practices, but I've seen miracles, you know, people uh, change as a result of some of the treatments. I love that. And then also there's not so much of usage of plant medicine as much, right? Is there also usage of drumming? Well, um, there are a few ways, well, let me start with this. The the foundation, uh, the, the fundamental bottom line practice is called the shamanic journey. Mm-hmm. And the journey means that you send your, you could say consciousness, or you could say your soul, but I usually use the term consciousness because people feel a little more comfortable with that. You send your consciousness into this arena called, that we'll call non-ordinary reality. And um, non-ordinary reality is composed of three worlds the upper world, the middle world, and the lower world. And, you know, I could go into greater detail about that, but there's three worlds in this arena, this area called non-ordinary reality. Uh, Typically, animal spirit guides, uh, spirit animals exist in the lower world, uh, in the celestial or the upper world. Uh, Their ancestors, human-looking figures, archangels, uh, I met Merlin there one time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are human-looking guides that uh, we can uh, travel to and receive information. Mm-hmm. And the third world, the middle world, is just is this world right here. You know, we can travel. We can do soul travel. We can do remote healing, you know, in this middle world. Mm-hmm. So the essence of it is that we want to learn that basic uh, shamanic journey. Now, what's become, um, shall we say, Uh, better known in the last few years, particularly, is the journeying with plant medicines. You know, many people, and myself included, I've gone to Peru and I've worked with shamans there, uh, and uh, a shaman, I should say, not shamans, but a particular shaman to see what this was about, ayahuasca. Mm -hmm. You know, it's becoming somewhat of a household New Age name. And it was quite phenomenal. It was a shamanic journey, definitely. Now, that particular tradition is how they have uh, employed the shamanic journey typically through the plant medicine, through the, the medicine and notice the word medicine. Right. Uh, uh, the other one is, uh, m- you know, mushrooms and the psilocybin and mushrooms. There's uh, a law now in Oregon where they've taken a hundred, pra- hundred people that have gone through an intensive training over six months to do therapy Mm-hmm. With psilocybin, which is the activating ingredient in uh, that certain mush, that certain mushroom, um, it it has been recreational. You know, the '60s were 
famous for that. Right. <laughs> and then came microdosing, you know, the people in Silicon Valley area, that's where I heard about it, uh, were microdosing just very small amounts of LSD, and then they'd go to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and I'm when I first heard that, I went, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's, it's happening. Michael Pollan, P-O-L-L-A-N, one of my favorite all-time authors, you know, came out with a book just recently, a couple of years ago, How to Change Your Mind. And one, uh, what he focused on primarily was the psilocybin. And uh, Michael does these things when he writes, he participates, you know, he's not just an observer, he participates and experiences whatever he happens to be writing about. So that's, I think, another way to journey. Now, the typical way and one that doesn't require you to ingest a substance of any sort is drumming and rattling. Mm -hmm. And the drumming itself is so to me is so interesting because it's about four to seven beats per second. I'm clapping, but that's yeah. four to seven beats per second. And uh, it's been measured. Melinda Maxwell, a researcher years ago, did a study on this uh, brainwave study and discovered that at four to seven beats a second, your brain waves, which are typically in the awake state or anywhere from 16 to 20 on up, in an active state, they slow down to guess how fast, four to seven cycles per second. Mm. So there's a match there. There's a synchronicity between the brain and the brain waves and the drumming. Mm -hmm. Or as someone once said, I think it was Michael Harner said, shamans knew (laughs) for thousands of years what we're just finding out about what happens when you drum at that rate or rattle as the case may be. So typically when I'm working with clients, Sakura, uh, that's what I use. I use a drum, basically. Mm-hmm. I just did a treatment the other day, and I used a drum. Now, I'm curious, when you're doing treatments with your clients, are you the one that's going into the journey, or are you facilitating a journey for them? That's a really good question. Uh, for this particular instance, a couple of days ago, it was facilitating a journey mm-hmm. uh, for one of my clients. And typically, though, if I'm uh, intending to do some sort of treatment, I will journey. Mm-hmm. And here's the reason why is I might have some really, um, maybe really good ideas about, you know, what's needed, you know, for a client, you know, based on uh, conversations with them. But what I want to find out, especially if I'm doing shamanic treatment, well, if I'm doing shamanic treatments is, all right, tell me, help me out, guides. <laughs> you know, I, I will travel to guides that I work with on, and I've developed strong relationships with. Uh, guides and I'll take it. I'll say this, this client here I'm working with, I need some help with this. You know, what kind of treatment might be the most valuable and any other information you have. And then, uh, as I'm drumming, I'm also journeying. Right. Now, sometimes I can put recorded drumming on too, but there's something about, you know, just playing that drum. And I've got a couple of very special drums to play during that time. And then I journey and then I receive information which again, one of the principles of shamanic work is direct revelation. Mm-hmm. In other words, that which will be revealed to me directly. Now that's used in other traditions too, Right. you know, where somebody gets the word from God or Jesus or whatever, that's fine. But we're talking specifically in this particular paradigm of shamanism that you want, you're, you're seeking information directly from the spirit guides. And it could be in the middle world. Mm-hmm. I could go out, sit with the tree and say, not just tree, the physical tree. Right. <laughs> but I can say as a representative of 
all trees tree spirit? Here's my question. What can you tell me about that? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's, that's, I think, uh, as important as the shamanic journey is this um, idea that we want to get that information directly. You know, our brains, you know, they can help. And certainly I've had a lot of training in different kinds of treatments, psychotherapeutic as well as shamanic. Um, it, even if you get a hit or an intuitive hit about what somebody might need in the way of a healing treatment, I'd still want a journey on it. Right. You know, maybe I'll get confirmation. Maybe there'll be more information or maybe I'm off key. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just a little off base and there's something else that's more important. It's almost like so a bypass it, for them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's an amazing process, and mm-hmm. I'm so happy to see that it has has grown uh, into um, a better known way of healing. It doesn't mean it's the only way. You right. Know. Now, no, do- that's not true. It's not the only way, but <laughs> it's one. It's one that works. Let's put it that way. Now, does it also help to empower people to have their own connection, to make that own connection with themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're good. Yeah. Good question. <laughs> Thanks, I'm, I'm also curious when you're doing plant medicine or you're doing a plant journey through plant medicine, is it, is it often, does it, does it happen often where you're connecting with the ancestors of the plant? Oh yeah. In fact, um, I came out with, uh, I, I've done a, a, a few decks of Oracle cards. Oracle cards are like tarot, um, but they're, user-friendly is the best way I would describe them. Love them. And yeah. in the uh, preparation and the writing of um, the this particular, well, there's two particular Oracle decks that have come out, messages from the ancestors and messages from the spirits of nature. Messages from the ancestors, the development and the evolution of what I needed to put out there on, in these Oracle cards was, well, how, you know, from the ancestors, you mean grandma and grandpa? You know, you know, what do we No, 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 no. But there's an archetypal grandfather. There's an archetypal grandmother. And it's an ancient being that may, in fact, uh, your actual physical grandfather also might be a man of wisdom, you know, and has that. But this goes beyond that and connects to a, a deep ancestor. Anyway, Sakura, what was most interesting is I was uh, sort of led down the path of identifying who are the ancestors is um, if you if you just go back generation after generation after generation, first off, our first relationship with the non-human is is the animals. So the, in this typology, the animals are our ancestors. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yes, absolutely. Let's go back way back. You know, this, <laughs> Friggin' planet's been around for four and a half billion years. You know, there was a lot of beings that were here first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it goes back from the animals to, guess what, the plant people. As someone once said, if uh, <laughs> uh, the animals wiped out, we could, as humans, survive, you know, by eating plants. If, um, uh, However, if the plants got wiped out, the whole planet, all the animals and humans would die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... The plants came first, and then the animals, and then humans. Let's go back even further. And what I called um, in the the ancestor uh, oracle cards, 
I call it primal, which is air, earth, water, fire, and mineral. You know, these, those are the first elements. Now, I, you know, I, I thought, what a fascinating way to look at ancestors. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, a, a fellow that I highly respect, Min, Mindahi, I hope I get his name right, Mindahi Batista. He came on as a guest of mine on a podcast. And guess what he started talking about in his culture, Guatemala? And in, in uh, he's indigenous. He says, we go back, you know, and we find that the animals are our ancestors, <laughs> and that the plants are our ancestors, and even, yeah, et cetera. So I went, boy, thank you, <laughs> you know, great confirmation. Right. So that's a bigger take on ancestors, and sometimes it's kind of hard to get your head around it. But, yeah. you know, just think, think about it a little bit. It makes a lot of sense. I love that you explained it that way. Thank you very much. And with that, we're going to take a quick break, but stay tuned for the Weekly Skinny up next and more love from the hip. On this Weekly Skinny, I would like to talk about some of the most popular ingredients used in beauty rituals held by our ancient ancestors. Many of these ingredients are still used in the beauty industry today, which only shows how wise our ancestors really were. Avocado was said to be used by the Aztecs to help reduce pore size and maintain a healthy skin glow. Eggs have been used for several centuries to add moisture to the hair. Roses, or more specifically, distilled rose water, was popular in ancient Egypt and Rome after being introduced by the ancient Persian Empire through trade. It was used like a toner, or dropped in baths for anti-aging and anti-inflammatory purposes, as well as added to perfume for its alluring feminine aroma. Salt scrubs have been used by countless ancients like the Egyptians and geishas to help remove dead skin and rejuvenate dull skin. Mung beans were used to help clear complexions in ancient China. These beans, which are loaded with antioxidants, were mashed into a paste and applied onto the skin, much like a face mask. Honey was applied to the hair by our ancestors in order to add shine. In addition, it was mixed with oils like olive oil and rubbed on the skin for its strong antibacterial and anti-aging properties. Aloe vera has long been used to treat burns and wounds. Milk baths were favored by many of our ancestors, and the Egyptians, specifically Cleopatra, indulged in them frequently. It is said that she routinely bathed in donkey milk, while often adding other ingredients like honey or saffron oil. The lactic acid from the milk would help to remove dead skin, eliminate impurities, and stimulate collagen. Cleopatra is celebrated for her wit as well as her beauty and is known for possessing many beauty secrets. Some of these include applying a mixture of honey and castor oil to her hair and her skin to moisturize, using celery and hemp to soothe her tired eyes, painting her lips with red clay and fat, and darkening her nails and eyebrows with antimony sulfide. Her dark, smoky eye makeup is also believed to have protected her eyes. In fact, the makeup used by the Egyptians created a high level of nitric oxide, which stimulates immune cells in the body. Also, the black coal used around the eyes contained antiseptic properties to deter flies. Not to mention the dark shades around the eyes protected from the glare of the sun and the lengthened lashes helped to protect against sand, dust, and other debris. All ancient beauty secrets indeed. We owe a lot to our ancestors for helping us to find ways to keep our skin looking and feeling youthful. And perhaps most of the credit needs to go to the Queen of Kings, Queen Cleopatra herself. 
Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just tuning in, I'm having a very insightful discussion with Dr. Stephen Farmer. Dr. Farmer is a shamanic practitioner, licensed psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, and author. So, Dr. Farmer, can we briefly talk about animal spirit guides? What is the difference between totem animals and power animals? And does everyone have an animal spirit guide? Yeah, a great question. A question I, I teach a lot about. Spirit animal is sort of a general term, not sort of, it's a general term for any animal that comes to you in an unusual and or repetitive way, in a really obvious way, typically. And what that is, you could say, one way to look at it is that it's great spirit uh, wanting to get a particular message to you through this particular being. Um, so totem animal is one that uh, a lot of people are familiar with. A uh, totem animal typically is oh, equivalent to a power animal, which I'll, I'll comment on just briefly. A uh, totem animal is one that's with you for a long time, over years. We're talking years. And the same thing with a power animal. The distinction with power animal is typically that comes from shamanism. That term itself is um, a, a, a spirit animal that you have a, a strong relationship with, particularly doing any kind of healing work and mm -hmm. something like that. My own uh, premise, uh, one of my earliest books in this genre was power animals. And it was talking about that distinction, you know, with totem animals. I don't use the term totem animals or totem that much. Mm -hmm. I really think in terms of spirit animals, the general term, and then uh, power animals. Over a period of time, I've acquired or they have acquired me uh, or some sort of collaborative mm -hmm. process has happened here uh, that there are four that I work with now that work with me and occasionally a fifth one. Oh, wow. And I'm allowed to say who they are. This uh, uh, wolf has been with me a long time. Uh, snake spirit is the first one that came to me before I even understood what that was. Mm. It was in a men's event and a medita uh, meditation. But Snake Spirit has uh, remained and continues to offer uh, his medicine. And then there's Raven, who kicked Owl out of the nest. <laughs> <laughs> Owl was a uh, great medicine when I was mainly a psychotherapist. Okay. And he still not, he still shows up. He shows up in the neighborhood. Actually, an Owl shows up, not which represents Owl Spirit. And then Tortoise, or uh, uh, more accurately, Turtle or what I'm calling Hunan, um, Hunan now. I'm not sure I'm not wearing that shirt. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to get back into spirit animals, but we do have a couple callers on the line. So let's go ahead and take Jacqueline from Scottsdale, Arizona. Jacqueline, are you there? Hello, I am. Hi there. What's your question for Dr. Farmer? The question for Dr. Farmer is when you're dealing with ancestral karma and healing and you want to connect in and ask your loved ones who have passed for guidance do you have any um any awareness of how to bring their spirit through to help bring greater clarity bring greater activation for let's say you're doing work in the world that you want to uplift greater love into the world how can you invite them along on the journey with you 
Uh, you basically just do that. Invite them. Go into a meditative <laughs> state. And I tell you what I do. Uh, I'd say 90% of my prayers are thank yous. And what that implies is that it's already in motion in some way, whatever the, the, the request is. Thank you, Great Spirit. You know, thank you, my ancestors, for bringing forth any wisdom, anything that you can uh, indicate to me in some way that will allow me to bring greater love to the world. I, I, I thank you for the clarity and the clarification of how I am to go about doing that. So, uh, yeah, try that. It's real simple. And then you can uh, look for signs from the ancestors. That's when it gets really fun is when you when you when you experience signs. And I got to tell you one thing about this. There's different ways we perceive these signs. One is mm -hmm. visual. Second, auditory. Uh, third is sensory, meaning we feel it in our bodies. And then a fourth one that's, uh, uh, for lack of a better term, is cognitive. You know, we just thought pops into our head and we go, wow, that's interesting. Huh? Okay. So look for signs. I'm a, you know what I'm going to do? I got my cards here, uh, one deck of my cards and I'm just going to pull one and I'll tell you what it says and what it's about. Okay. This is messages from the uh, spirits of nature. Beautiful. Okay. I get water, lifeblood. So there's something, uh, and I'll tell you, I'm just going to riff off of the card itself. Because there's actually a guidebook here, but I don't want to read from the guidebook. I just want to riff off the, off the uh, card itself. It's just a picture of this beautiful waterway, you know, with all these branches and everything like that. And that's part of what uh, is, okay, what's being said to me, again, auditory, because I get auditory messages a lot, that inner voice, is that you, um, you need to reach out to these ancestors in the way that I've described, and they will uh, bring that information to you, much like the waterways you know, end up going into a main river of some sort. So any kind of extending to others, to your ancestors, and I'm talking about your deep ancestors, not just, you know, one or two generations ago, that really have had the experience in the afterlife of really knowing what deep, unconditional love is. So I trust that that's helpful. Beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jacqueline. All Thanks, right. Jacqueline. You're welcome. All right, let's go to Amy from Seattle. Amy, are you there? I'm here. Hi, Amy. What's your question for Dr. Farmer? Well, I'm wondering if he can tap into a brief health issue I'm having. A health issue. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Any more information than that? What's um, going on? It's mostly digestion. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> The first hit I get, um, I like to call it a hit, the first hit I get is that that is also a metaphor, you know, for some uh, difficulty digesting some emotional information that's come your way. And my body reacts. Remember I said sensory? I even get a wiggle of emotion when I say that. Like there's some, uh, okay, what I'm feeling really is is grief to allow yourself to experience that which you cannot stomach easily. And part of the release for you is to be able to just sit in your sorrow, shall we say. And But more than sit in it, 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 emotion means energy in motion. So something's not moving all the way through. The other is, uh, as I always recommend too, you know, get, um, if you have not been to a doctor, like a med medical doctor, perhaps a uh, integrative uh, medicine physician, 
do so because there's ways also to treat it. You want we want to tackle this, you know, head on in as many ways as possible. So it's always good to get, you know, some information in that way. And it doesn't have to be, don't turn over your authority to the doctor, but use them as a consultant, okay? That's really critical. And anybody who's listening to that, take mm -hmm. that in. They are consultants. Mm -hmm. uh, Bernie, Bernie Siegel wrote a book years ago, Medicine and Miracles. And what he talked about, the, the uh, worked a lot with cancer patients. And he said it was pretty amazing. The ones that had the best uh, outcome of their treatment were the ones that wouldn't uh, agree always with the doctors. And they would challenge the doctors, not to piss them off or something like that. Right. Like, can you tell me a little bit more? You know, that, that sort of thing. So yeah. that's, that's what's going on. That's what I get, you know, and I trust that that's uh, useful for you. So it's very uh, I wish you the best and blessings to you. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. Bye-bye. So, Dr. Farmer, with Jacqueline, you were touching on the four ways that we receive messages. What gets in our way? Uh, are you talking about... What gets in our what gets in our way from receiving those messages in the four ways that you listed? Well, we don't have a lot of practice in it. First off, disbelief. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, who me? How can I get messages? You know, that's the stuff of weird people and all these new agers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just kidding. But, <laughs> you know, I call myself a professional weird person uh -huh. now because it, it is you know for the norm, it's kind of weird, but it's becoming a little more mainstream. Yeah. So um, part of it is the fear of uh, not being accepted. Mm -hmm. You know, what if I get these messages and how do I sort them out? And I, I advise anyone who uh, has difficulty doing that, find a teacher, you know, find someone, find someone like Sakura or someone okay. who can just kind of coach you through it and encourage you through it and say, well, that's not weird. Yeah, of course, I get that stuff all the time. You know, uh, what is it? Uh, what was that old movie where... Uh, Macaulay Culkin, I think it was, and Bruce Willis, you know, I see, I... Dead, I see <laughs> dead people. You know, yeah, you see dead people. They make themselves, excuse me, didn't mean to make that noise, but they make themselves known to us. You may not right. see them. You might hear them. You might sense their presence. Yeah. Get to know what is your main way of perceiving spiritual information like that. Mm -hmm. Like I mentioned to you, mine is hearing auditory. And I would say kinesthetic or sensory, mm -hmm. you know, number two. Visual comes in at number three. You know, I do get visions, etc., And I combine cognition and sensory yeah. as uh, um, intuition. Awesome. So cognitive sensory is intuition. And I don't know for sure, but lately I've been thinking more and more. The first perception we, we have of these kind of things is through our bodies. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So, and then back to Amy, I love how you shared to be an advocate for your own healing. I think that's really important. And that's something that I had to do for myself. And, yeah. and I was called the hippie patient and, and miraculously healed. So I love that you shared that. Thank you for sharing that as well. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. Glad to. Yeah. Important. And with that, we're going to take another break, but don't go anywhere. Love from the hip. We'll be right back. A health crisis is one of the most challenging situations we will experience in our lifetime. It leaves us frightened, confused, and asking, why did this happen to me? Transformational coach Rory Reich experienced his healing crisis when the life he had so carefully constructed came crumbling down around him. The universe had offered him a challenge. He chose to accept it and to rediscover who he was before it was too late. In his book, Transform Yourself Through Disease, Rory shares his personal journey alongside eight practical steps to help those who are stuck 
realize their self-impairing beliefs, and discover ways of transforming them so they can reclaim their health and create the life of their dreams. Don't let your health crisis define you. Take the next step and transform yourself today. For a free life coaching consultation, contact Rory at RoryReich.com. That's R-O-R-Y-R-E-I-C-H dot com. If you're planning on building a home or a major landscaping project, you'll want the team of Stone Resources on your side. Safely, effectively, and correctly working with our unique terrain requires local knowledge and environmental care. For 21 years, Stone Resources has been making sure their customers' biggest investment is on solid ground. Trust your next earth-moving project to Stone Resources. Call 425 754-6792. That's 425-754-6792. Stone Resources. We make the earth move. And remember, if you need dirt or have dirt to get rid of, you can call on us. 425-754-6792. Welcome back to Love from the Hip. I'm intuitive medium, spiritual hypnotherapist, master esthetician, and your host, Sakura Sutter. If you're just joining us, I have the honor of having Dr. Stephen Farmer here with us. So, Dr. Farmer, animal spirit guides, how do they come to us? Well, they, they can come to us in various ways. They can come to us in the physical realm. Uh, let's say a, uh, oh, a crow. You know, you're out there having, let's say, morning coffee, you know, at your table and just relaxing a little bit and getting into the day. And suddenly a crow lands right on your table. Okay. Now there's two things. You can look at it a couple ways. Oh, well, that's an interesting, you know, a crow's there. Second, you can go, wait a minute. I just listened to this guy, Dr. Farmer. <laughs> and he said, pay attention. You know, when an animal appears in an unusual way and or repetitively in a short space of time, there's a pretty big deal going on. It's, it's spirits uh, attempt to reach you and to, to give you some kind of a message. Um, gosh, I had, uh, had that experience one time where a hawk flew. I, it was a different house that I was in and I had the back room was my office and there was a glass door that led to the backyard and a long hallway and the front opened, you know, and I had this hawk fly into my office (laughs) and, um, it turns out he was chasing a dove, you know, he was chasing lunch, but I was sitting there working on, um, a manuscript, you know, for one of my uh, publications, but I was, I confess I was goofing off too, you know, I was like <laughs> playing backgammon or something like that. And immediately when I tuned in, I, here's what I did. And this is what I advise people to do is say, close your eyes, take a deep breath. And, and in this instance, Hawk spirit, what's your message? And then, or thank you for your message. What's your message? And then pay attention to what you see, what you hear, in your inner voice or externally, what you see in your mind or outside you, mm-hmm. uh, what you see, what you hear, what you feel. You know, it's an easy way to remember. It's what do you hear, what do you see, what do you feel? Okay. And feeling is not necessarily emotion, it's sensations in the body. And again, I'm largely auditory. You know, I lean on that. I'm a wordsmith too. I work with words, so that makes sense. And uh, what I heard very, very distinctly was uh, it's time to focus. Mm. <laughs> get back to get your rear end back to work. <laughs> that was great. Yeah. Now, how might our lost loved ones also use animals to communicate? Well, the, um, yeah. The, the uh, lost loved ones or ancestors, 
because anybody, it doesn't, even a child that goes into the afterlife, uh, you could consider as an ancestor because they're in a, obviously a different realm. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes a messenger animal will come along and will know that it's a message from grandma or grandpa, you know, that we've lost recently. A dove, you know, uh, someone, uh, I've heard this story actually, where uh, someone's, this person's grandmother had died. And similar to what I was saying about crow, a dove landed very nearby, like three, four feet away. And there was that knowing, there you go, intuition, cognitive sensory, cognitive sensory. Intuitively, she just knew it was a message from grandmother. Some people would say it is grandmother. I don't agree with that. I think it's a message Mm -hmm. that says, you know, often the message is very simple. It's, I'm doing okay. (laughs) I don't have a body to deal with, so I'm doing okay. Yeah, so don't dismiss that. (laughs) Yeah, right. So what are the benefits of connecting with our ancestors? Uh, The benefits are, first off, um, I think it's interesting, you know, like we had a brief discussion about that, Ancestry.com or uh, 23andMe is another one I just looked into and discovered a few things, you know, Mm -hmm. about my ancestors. So out of curiosity about where I came from, you know, there's there's devices, apps available now. Uh, The other benefit, though, I find is that often they will continue to teach us from the afterlife. Mm. And again, you got to put it. I would say to people, don't you don't have to believe it, but don't disbelieve it. You know, be your own scientist. Right. (laughs) Try these things out that we've been talking about and and other things that you've covered with other guests. You know, try these things out. Experiment. Just put your beliefs and disbeliefs aside. (laughs) Set them in a compartment on your left or right and say, well, let's give this a try. Okay, uh, my dad comes to me quite often or has come to me quite often. And he's been great. I feel a little emotion even as I say that, Sakura, because it's such a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really hit this. This hit me. You know, it's, yeah. I, I, would, I don't even want to call it, you know, label that. It's just an emotional surge. Yeah because of the memory of his presence and his coming to me. And then I might have memories also when, you know, he was alive and all that, but he does come to me. I know that. Hmm. And I've had my brother come to me. You know, I've had uh, a couple other relatives come to me from the afterlife. So I want you, uh, whoever's listening, I want you to be open to that, that it's very possible. You know, it is. Those of you who are listening to this, you know, it's possible. And how do you think we mutually heal each other? Oh, my goodness. I think um, the, what's really important is some, I would call it social engagement. It's a term that I've been working with lately about social engagement is looking somebody in the eye, you know, smiling at them, going in. I go to Whole Foods, you know, and I, it's amazing. Uh, well, actually, this was just the other day, two days ago, I went to Costco. And my God, people are intense there. <laughs> so I want to bring something different. Yeah. And maybe it'll touch, you know, I'm not there to like, oh, make everybody happy or cheerful or slow down or something like that. That's not my intention. But if I just put a little, I call it a dolphin smile. You know how dolphins look like they're smiling? Just the edges <laughs> of the, uh, the mouth come up a little bit. Go around smiling a little bit. And number two, breathe. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
you know, breathe through, breathe and breathe and breathe and breathe and smile. Go uh, call up somebody and just tell them you love them. Thank you. you know, I, I, yeah, anyway, that, that's, that. that's enough right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I know we're going to be coming up to the end of the time here. I'm going to have to have you back on the show if you're willing. Uh, I'd love to, Sakura. No, it's great. You're Wonderful. a great host, too, by the Thank way. Thank you. you. Now, you have an upcoming retreat. Would you like to share yeah, about that? Yeah, I've got a quick? couple of I've got uh, a couple of them. The, uh, and people can go to my website, DR, like Dr. Dr. Stephen Farmer, S T E V E N F A R M E R. Uh, there is at Joshua Tree Retreat Center, and the desert is one of my favorite all-time places. April 27th through the 31st, you know, that I'm, I'm in a retreat with a colleague, Marissa Ryan. And then in October, with a couple other friends and colleagues, uh, October 24th through the 27th, I've got a retreat going there. And I'll be in Sedona, uh, the Gathering of the Shamans, on May 4th through 7th. And again, this information is on my website, drdrstephenfarmer.com. So you can go and find out more information about it there. Sounds fabulous. Thank you so much for being here again today. Uh, blessings to you. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the work that you're doing uh, across the board, including this radio show. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to Eric, my lovely producer, you the listener, KKNW, Timber Country, and Cape Town Zone Radio. Tune in next Wednesday for another episode of Love from the Hip presents the Conscious Coaching Hour. Stay kind out there, straight, stay true to you, and don't forget, make self-love contagious. Go ahead, I dare ya. Microneedling is a revolutionary treatment that can help reduce the appearance of acne scars, fine lines, pigmentation, wrinkles, even improve the appearance of stretch marks by stimulating collagen and elastin. Sakura Skin and Mind specializes in this procedure that jumpstarts your body's natural healing process. Sakura Skin and Mind believes in not only keeping the skin up to date with the latest trends in the skincare industry, but also keeping the skin beautiful, fast, pretty, painless, and affordable. Find out more at sakuraskinandmind.com. S-A-K-U-R-A skinandmind.com.